It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Marie Osborne and Dr. Jonathan Zayden. Presented by Women's Excellence. Now here's your host, Marie Osborne. And welcome in to another edition of the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. We're so glad you're joining us today. An interesting show lined up covering some very important topics in women's health care. Welcome, Dr. Zayden. Glad, as always, to have you on board. Well, thanks for having us. And, and you know, I can never, I can never understand how fast you know, a month or two goes by and we're doing the show again. But this one's very exciting in that we're gonna talk a little bit about virtual care and how it's transforming medicine all around. We're also gonna talk about sexual wellness, which so many of uh, the patients uh, call in about each and every month um, on our Ask the Doc segment. So we decided we would just dedicate some time to it. And then we're also gonna talk about our comprehensive bladder control program, because again, our Ask the Doc Uh, questionnaires are always filled with those types of questions. So we decided we'd cover all three of them in this segment. And we'll also be talking about the evolution of the healthcare system and how Dr. Zayden and Women's Excellence is working to combat those new challenges. And of course, as you heard Dr. Zayden mention, another edition of Ask the Doc. Stay with us. We'll continue in a moment. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. We'd like to broach a topic that really doesn't get enough attention these days. Well, you know, we've talked about sexual wellness on our show so many times, and usually it comes from questions on our Ask the Doc segment, which we'll do later. And we decided this time that we were going to actually dedicate some time to it, Marie. So why did you um, create a dedicated program around sexual awareness for women in your practice? Well, I think it's a little bit of, of why I just said, right? There's so many people asking questions about it. But more importantly, it's really about what we see in patients in our office. So we see these people on a regular basis and they ask us these questions, but oftentimes it's, it's kind of in a, a more shy way. Many times it's at the end of a visit. Um, it's it, it it may get incorporated into a visit almost as innuendo because people don't really want to talk about it. And what's interesting is is that I think the male side of uh, problems with uh, with sexual wellness really got blown up when we saw Viagra come on the market, right? And and it almost uh, became okay if you took those products because of the way they marketed it. But we don't see the same thing for women. We we have a tendency not to see the same thing. And I do think that some of the sexual challenges that women have are different. So we thought, you know, it's time to create a dedicated program for this, make it something that we're not just doing, but we're doing extremely well, and that it can be done in a center where you're not in the middle of a, a general OBGYN office. And, and we felt that those were the main priorities, and, and it really needed a dedicated program to to meet all those criteria. So what kind of sexual problems do women typically face in their lifetime? I mean, I think it's, you know, sex, although it's difficult to talk about, it's become a lot easier for me to talk about it because I deal with it every day. And some people say, well, you're an OBGYN, this is what you deal with. And the answer 
to that question, and, and uh, I think it's even important for our listeners to know, is that as an OBGYN, I might deal with the ramifications of sex, but actually talking about sex is not a big part of our day. And it's just as uncomfortable for me to do it as it is for your friends sometimes to talk about it with, you know, and people have a tendency to talk about sex, but they don't talk about their problems with it. Right. So nobody really wants to, you know, talk about what they're experiencing. It's kind of like people talking about relationships generally, but they don't necessarily share all the nuances of their relationship with you. And so the big problems I think women have, you know, are, are the same problems that, that everyone has in, in their life in that there's a mental component and then there's a physical component. And the mental component could be that they just don't get aroused. They just don't, they don't feel like they want to have sex. They're too busy. They have other things they're thinking of. Maybe their relationship isn't in the right spot. So there's those issues. Then there's things where they have that, you know, they have that arousal, they can do that, but they don't have the desire to really get to that point. So they may put it off because maybe they have a willing partner, but they don't have the real desire to do it. But once they do it, they get aroused and that, and, and they feel fine, but there's barriers to that. Maybe they're environmental barriers um, or maybe they're hormonal barriers that we can, we can check into. Then there's the whole stimulus process. You know, if somebody has pain with intercourse or they don't get enjoyment from intercourse with they, if they can't reach orgasm, many times that's not something that they want to do. I mean, if you, if you really don't, you know, get the experience out of it that you want, then it becomes somewhat interruptive uh, to your lifestyle. And so I think all of those things are issues, right? Painful intercourse, a lack of desire, a lack of arousal, relationship issues, orgasmic disorders, you get there, but you can't get all the way there. Those are all things that we can, we can deal with. Such sensitive, sensitive topics. Now, I do know that you've worked very hard to uh, make treatments available to your patients for some of these issues. Can you talk about that? Well, the, I think the first starts with counseling, right? Really find out what is the root cause of what's going on. You know, and many people are very honest with that up front and, and some aren't so honest with it. Right. So they're they kind of they're happy to allude to something, but they don't really want to talk about it in great detail. Our goal in making this program is to have honest consultations with defined questions to get to the root cause of the problem faster and more efficient and get you a solution. And then we have a lot of things for that solution. Maybe it's some counseling. Maybe it's laser vaginal rejuvenation because, you know, intercourse has become painful and the vaginal tissue is not as elastic and you feel like there's tearing going on when this is happening and that causes discomfort. Maybe it's a lack of orgasm so we can do pelvic floor strengthening and we have, uh, you know, you've People have heard um, on our uh, show in the past that we use a, a electromagnetic uh, generating machine that actually can improve your uh, overall pelvic floor strength and then also improve the musculature that allows you to experience orgasm. And then there's things like um, PRP, where we actually do plate-rich plasma to uh, increase the sensitivity of the nerve endings and the blood supply to the areas that you need it most uh, during sex. And then, of, of course, there's new medications, much like on the male side, 
there's medications on the female side, both for arousal, desire, you know, all of those things. So, you know, we're, we're looking at every aspect to determine first, what's your root cause? And then what can we do to help you? And we're pretty comprehensive. We pretty much offer everything that can be done at this point. And like you said, it all starts with the conversation and the counseling, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you don't talk, you don't understand, right? So, I mean, you know, that's the root cause of every relationship is a lack of communication. This program, and I'm, I'm proud of this program because this program is really going to allow us to hurdle that barrier. If you choose to be a part of this program, you've basically said, hey, I have a, I have a problem. And we can get and we can get down and and really fix it. And that's what we're our goal is. We want to have patients that that get a better a, a better quality of life from a sexual standpoint, and they get it at at Women's Excellence Enhanced. Thanks, Dr. Zayden. And of course, this is a topic we will revisit again because it's so critical to women's health. The Healthy Women Show continues here on WJR. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show. We're here to chat a little bit about the evolution of healthcare. Dr. Zayden, I remember uh, it wasn't that long ago, two and a half years ago, it was pre-pandemic, three years ago, where you were talking about this newfangled invention called telemed and how you were, uh, you know, it going to be expanding that part of the practice and working in that part of the practice. Well, now it's become so common. Well, I, I, um, you know, I say things like I'm proud of that, but you know, we, we were ahead of the curve and we saw that because, you know, on pandemic day, number one, we basically started switching our visits over to virtual because we had a self built platform for it. Um, it was already in place. And obviously a lot of the barriers to virtual care disappeared, you know, relatively quickly there when when the government said hey we're encouraging this this process they couldn't really figure out how to adjudicate it prior to this but now we're a couple of years past that and people are used to it and the technology got even better and we now use a different vendor um, than what we did then so just like everything else we evolve but you know what i find is that there's just a difference today than there was pre-pandemic there's a difference in in what people have experienced. Maybe they had more time off of work. Maybe they've moved to different locations because of the pandemic. In some cases, we have patients that have moved up north. Um, they're working from home. They've been working remote. They work for a company maybe in Auburn Hills, Troy, Madison Heights, wherever it is, but they're working remotely. So as a result of that, they still want care maybe from us and still come down here from time to time because they have family, but their main household now is up north. And we can provide a lot of the same services to those people via virtual medicine. And we've you know learned and grown with what we can and can't do uh, virtually. And we're also looking at what we can do virtually in the future based on additional services such as mobile blood draws and, and you know, specialized orders and so on and so forth that, you know, we can actually increase the scope of virtual medicine by 
by looking and making common sense on what normal people do and what normal people want to do. Because that's, I think, what the key um, to doing any good successful program is to figure out what do your customers and your patients want? Not what you're willing to give them, but what do they want? And I think right now, uh, people want virtual medicine, at least for the things that they feel that wouldn't make sense for them to come to the office. Yeah, it's such a it's such a time saver in our very busy lifestyle uh, today. What is the EMR system? Well, EMR is really just um, a, really a, an acronym or an abbreviation for electronic medical records, right? So um, electronic medical records just gives us um, the ability to house all of your data in one large repository. Right. So we went to an electronic record that's very portable, meaning that you can access it from multiple different devices, but it's very HIPAA secure and it's one of the best ones on the market. But we did that in preparation for these types of events, because even our medical professionals now can work from different environments. Many of my patients have seen me while I'm sitting in my home office. Um, doing their visits as opposed to being in, in the regular office. So there's a lot of changes that have happened and they're all for the good. And can you tell us a little bit about um, EMMS, which stands for uh, elect, uh, Elected Medical Management Systems? No, it actually stands, Marie, for Elite Medical Management Solutions. And what 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 this is, is it's, it's, a, it's a company that we started to sit on top of our company to help do some of the management because everybody that's gone to a medical office knows that there's a lot more paperwork and a lot more forms and a lot more hassle that is going on today than it used to be. So to be in the forefront, much like we, I think we're in the forefront of virtual medicine or telemedicine. As a matter of fact, we coined the term specialty virtual care and I've seen other people start to use it. Um, and so, you know, what, what we're looking to do is take our service lines, right, that we do and you have to think about what our services are, right? I mean, services could be anything from, you know, radiologic techs to, you know, medical assistants that are uh, flexible, that can fill into an office, um, cleaning of an office, but more importantly for a patient, um, prior authorizations, you know, um, insurance verifications, their billing, right? All of this stuff that is no longer in many cases done in main offices, we're looking to actually put one together, put this company together to, heck, to help manage all of those things in a more business-like fashion, because that's what it needs to, what needs to happen, yet allow our offices to still be a patient-centered, family-friendly, um, relationship-based approach, as opposed to confronting these administrative issues right at the at the level when you're right in front of the of the person, you know, making your appointment or checking you in. How important is it to solve the patient's problem the first time they contact you? In today's world, that is the problem. So back in the day, they said touch it once, right? And and deal with it. Don't set it aside. The more times you touch it, the longer the delay, the more dissatisfaction. I wish that could be in medicine, but in medicine, oftentimes um, 
And an approval, for example, might parlay on the fact that a patient needs to get specific testing. And then after that testing, a visit has to happen so that there can be documentation of what are the results of that testing and what is the plan of care. So those are things that are extremely important today for the insurance company to justify why you may or may not get a surgery or a uh, MRI test or some more expensive uh, therapy, medicinal or, or intravenous. So now they've, they've actually expanded that to some of the more simple things. Sometimes just routine drugs, for example, maybe they, they allow you to give certain drugs for a standard just yeast infection or urinary tract infection. But if you give a different drug, um, they're requiring an authorization for that. This is a very time-consuming and laborious process in offices that oftentimes leads in, in big-time patient dissatisfaction. So what we're, we're looking to do is create this company that can look at these processes and dissect them down so that we don't just become one of the many that you know are, are bogged down in this, in this paperwork jungle but rather somebody that can get through that forest and see the trees very clearly individually. And we want our relationships to be those trees. We want to be able to see our patient, talk to our patient and do the things that we can do for our patient and let something another entity deal with all those other things on the back end with the patient really getting better service as a result of that. Right. So that it's it's not that receptionist at the desk that's trying to do everything that's also trying to handle your prescription, but it's somebody who only handles your prescription that's handling that in a professional environment that's monitored, that has all the tools available to do that. And that's what we're really trying to do. And that, you know, also uh, you know, allows our, our doctors to be credentialed to all of your insurance plans better and so on and so forth. So there's no confusion with those types of things. Um, all of these will make the, the patient experience better and hopefully allow us as the doctor to touch the patient once and get a result, although that result might be multifactorial in the background. And that's going to be done by elite medical management solutions, which is a new entity that really is designed to help our patients. Help the patient and really provide better medical care, which is what you're after from the very beginning, right? That's what you're all about. Well, you know, there's a vision behind all of this and a mission. And the mission is to make patient care state-of-the-art, convenient, and efficient. So we want to give you the best quality of care, the most efficient way possible. And there's so many barriers to that, and there's no one that's listening to this, which I'm which I now can say this so clearly because there's no one that will listen to our show today that doesn't know that there are a lot of barriers. If you've utilized the healthcare system for anything other than a routine exam, and maybe even for a routine exam, you realize how many barriers there are between you coming in for care and getting that care. And that's what we're trying to help. Absolutely. Coming up next here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR, Ask the Doc. We'll have that for you when we come back. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. This has become a very popular feature on the show where we get to ask Dr. Zayden 
questions just off the cuff that come from patients. And for that, we check in with Jessica Rousset. She's the patient outreach coordinator at Women's Excellence. Welcome back, Jessica. What have you got for Dr. Zayden this month? Lots of good questions. I always love when some of them are new that we've never heard of. We've done this segment for a while, so sometimes we get the same questions coming up, but there's a few on here that are brand new. So I'll I jump right to, in. I have to tell you that, you know, I, I find it interesting that, you know, when, when the patients were asking for this segment on the show, and then, you know, now the shows are being designed around what the patients are asking, which is exactly what we always wanted the show to be in the first place. So it's really turned into a great spurhead session for, for what patients really want. And we're starting as we see those questions over and over again. So this has become such a fun segment. I used to be a little nervous with it because of some <laughs> of these questions, but now I'm, I'm getting used to it and I'm glad to give information. Yep. Good. We got some good questions. So the first one is, my provider suggested that I get an ablation for my heavy periods. What can I expect from this treatment? Well, ablations are great if the only problem that you're having is heavy bleeding and you don't have a lot of other pathology, meaning that if you're having heavy bleeding and you're also having cramping and you're, you have endometriosis or you've been diagnosed with adenomyosis or fibroids, have I said enough big terms now, Justin? <laughs> so if you don't have anything else wrong with you, let's simplify that, right? And you just have heavy bleeding, right? And you maybe don't aren't a good candidate for hormones, or you just don't want to take hormones. And endometrioblation is really good because it works really well. And it has about a 92% um, success rate. Oh, wow. So that means that, you know, 92 out of 100 people get better and bleed less. And, and actually feel that it was a successful procedure because they're able to tolerate their periods or they're not having periods at all, which is really great. It doesn't affect you hormonally. These are the things that people want to know. Is it going to affect my hormones? No, it shouldn't affect your sex drive. In many cases, I think it affects your sex drive positively because you're not bleeding all the time. It's way more convenient because you don't bleed as much. It can cause some increased cramping in certain patients, especially if there's undiagnosed adenomyosis. And in order to get the ablation, you have to be 100% sure that somebody doesn't have a cancer. So we have to evaluate you a little bit before that. And when you do an ablation, you're not going to be able to become pregnant afterwards. So you need to know that. So this is a, this is a tool. In many cases, as I counsel people, I think they should have a tubal ligation if they're going to have an ablation because it is a permanent decision and you wouldn't want to get pregnant in a uterine environment that's not able to support it. So those are the big things. What can you expect after? You know, about discharge for, for uh, three weeks or so, a little increased cramping, a little tenderness and a little bit of bloating. After that, once you're healed, we check you with a simple ultrasound at about three months out, just to make sure everything looks good. And then, um, you know, provided you're not having any issues at all, we, you would go on and just have normal routine care. All right. If I get a hysterectomy, will I need to take hormone medication for the rest of my life? I, it seems like I, I've heard this question before. Maybe it was asked differently, but really it's to determine on whether or not you remove your ovaries. So if you have a hysterectomy and you don't remove your ovaries, you really don't need to use any hormonal therapy. You won't be any different than you were before, provided that you don't go into menopause. Like, for example, some people want to leave their ovaries intact 
and they're already menopausal, they're going to be the same as they were pre preoperatively if they leave their ovaries intact and their ovaries aren't producing um, any hormone, you know, at the time when we do the hysterectomy. On the other hand, if you take your ovaries out and you're premenopausal, that's where you make the determination of maybe I want to be on hormones. So these are the, the patients that are having periods on a regular basis. They're not having hot flashes, night sweats, anything. They have a hysterectomy and they've decided to remove their ovaries in most cases because they're cancer prone organs or because there's maybe some disease that removing the ovaries helps them, such as maybe endometriosis in some cases. Um, maybe they have an ovarian cyst. Maybe they have a history of recurrent cysts. Maybe they have scar tissue around their ovaries, those types of things. So if those ovaries are removed, do you need to have hormonal therapy? And the answer is no, you don't need them, but you will suffer menopause. And so really you're going to have to have a menopausal consult afterwards to discuss keeping your bones healthy, keeping the symptoms of menopause away, which can increase, can be, you know, vaginal dryness, hot flashes, night sweats. Some people get headaches in the menopausal period, all of those things. So hormonal therapies can help that. Right. I love this question because I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but I think it's a really good question for um, the day and age we live in. Which is better, using a midwife or a doctor for pregnancy? I don't think that is an answer that we can answer because really it, in order to have a successful um, birth, it's a team approach, right? So it's everywhere from the hospital to the nurse, to a supports uh, person that you have. Maybe it's a family member, sister, friend, whoever that is, is to you your mom, um, any of those things, and then your physician, and then maybe a midwife, right? All of those are integral into your care. And you have to remember in any of those types of scenarios where you have a team approach, not everybody contributes the same amount in every play, right? So there are some plays where it's more important that the quarterback throw the ball and the and the receiver catch the ball, and that's the main part of the play. And there are other plays that it's more important that they block in front and the running back can get through. And midwifery care and the physician is exactly the same. The physician needs to be available to take care of the higher risk components of a, of a pregnancy and birth. If you don't have those, then a natural birth process and a midwife is, is probably as good or better than a physician because they're there to spend time with you and guide you and support you more than what a physician has time to do. So in many cases in physician care, the physician's coming in when the, you know, when the birth is advanced, right? So when you're almost ready to deliver, whereas the midwife can be with you throughout the majority of the time, right? But if you are in a high risk situation, the physician needs to be there. So I'm gonna emphasize this. Our goal at Women's Excellence, so I'm going to answer it from Women's Excellence, is our goal is to provide great care, whatever way that care kind of evolves. And as a team, we look at how that evolution happens during a birth process, and we alter it based on the needs of our patient, the safety for that patient, 
And then ultimately, what's what's going to provide them the best outcome? Because when it's all said and done, you want a baby in your arms. That's what you want to feel. That's what you want to hear. And you want that to come in in a safe, non-threatening environment. So whichever way is best, that's what we strive for. I can't answer for how it's practiced throughout the state of Michigan, other countries, and so on and so forth, because I think they, they do it differently. But that's how we value it. Great answer. Um, next one is on hormones again. Um, I find a lot of conflicting information on bioidentical hormones. Are they safe? The truth of the matter is we're not 100% sure, okay? Much like we're not 100% sure when we drive out of our driveway that we're going to get to our destination without an accident. Right. We rely on, on a history that tells us that that overwhelmingly is safe even though we know that people do get in accidents and we've probably all, most of the people on the show have been in an accident, right? Bioidentical hormones are no different. We don't have enormous voluminous data on whether or not they're safe or not safe. What we have is a preponderance of patients that we've taken care of for years and years and years that, that they have shown a safety profile with it. So when people ask exactly what is the safety profile, exactly how many percent, all of those things, I, I tell them in many cases, maybe you're not a candidate for bioidentical hormones, because if I can't give you that information, then you, know, you may not feel comfortable while you're on the hormone. And the reason you're using the hormone is for symptom relief and quality of life. And if you're more worried about being on the hormone, then, then that's going to do, and you're going to, it's going to create anxiety for you. You absolutely shouldn't be taking it. But what I can tell you is they, they are generally considered as safe. We don't have um, these, you know, large FDA approved, uh, you know, ret uh, retrospective and prospective randomized trials for bioidentical hormones. But bioidentical means that it's a hormone that you're using that's using the same biologically um identical path pathway in your body. So the, the hormone is kind of metabolized the same way as your body would make a hormone and metabolize. It. And that's, what's important is that your body's not doing a lot of other processes to these hormones to make them work. That's the difference between a bioidentical hormone and a non-bioidentical hormone. What I will say on top of this is a bioidentical hormone can be made in a lab. It's, it's, the same bioidentical process, but it is not necessarily natural, but it could be natural. So we have natural bioidentical hormones. Okay. We have synthetic bioidentical hormones. And, you know, ultimately there's a, you know, a risk factor for everything that we do, including driving a car and taking bioidentical hormones. We generally consider them as relatively safe, depending on the patient and depending on the circumstance. Thanks, Dr. Zayden and Jessica. Some awfully great questions from your uh, patients today uh, to get some real insight on a wide variety of topics. Thanks again. It's Ask the Doc here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR. And coming up next, Dr. Zayden wants to close out the show. A few thoughts on bladder care. Stay with us. back to the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. It's been a while since we've talked about an important issue, bladder control problems, which is a super common problem among women as they age and 
even after pregnancy for so many younger women. So Dr. Zayden, I know you wanted to close out the show with some thoughts on that. Well, I, I really think, uh, as we said earlier, you know, this, this is generated off these ask the doc questions, right? And it's always, you know, how long is it going to take to get, uh, you know, we get those questions, right? So how long is it going to take to get our bladder done and so on and so forth? And, you know, I never see the ask the doc questions in advance. I, I think you know that They're, they always come to me after the fact. Um, I either get them real time or afterwards, I get a summary of all these questions. And then the questions kind of, uh, you know, make me think about how we're running our practice, right? And so some of them get on the air, some don't, but the overwhelming thing is, you know, how long does it take to do a, you know, a bladder suspension or treat my bladder condition and what workup is, you know, available for me and how successful are they? And, and we thought that this would be a great way to close out the show and that, you know, people have overactive bladder, right? They have urinary frequency where they have got to go all the time. They have stress incontinence where you leak with cough and sneeze. They have, you know, pain in their bladder. They have conditions called interstitial cystitis. And then they have prolapse disorders where, you know, the, the, the actual tissue is, is dropping or, or different than it was in the past. And so all of those things are, are issues that we need to address. Right. And so, um, you know, we, we make sure that we evaluate all of those things uh, for patients with simple testing in the office. And now's the time to do it. Right. Because, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, the deductibles and that was one of the big, I mean, that was another ask the doc, uh, you know, kind of convention, right. Was, you know, everybody wanted to, we did a segment one time on the deductibles of healthcare and how to use your healthcare better. And before you know it, it turned into uh, half of a show, right. Because there were so many comments on it. And so this is one of those things for sure. I mean, if you want your bladder fixed, I mean, you know, start your workup and get it done before the end of the year. In many cases, if you've already done your metro deductible, this is something that, you know, you can get done and improve your quality of life without an a big additional cost. What type of bladder problems can be fixed? Well, I think I talked about those, you know, with the stress incontinence and painful bladder, prolapse disorders, uh, things like what we call them cystoceles, where your bladder wall is dropping, rectoceles, where your rectal wall is, is, is maybe not, it doesn't have the same integrity as it once did. Um, and then, you know, obviously all the frequency issues when people have to go to the bathroom, you know, I always say the same thing that commercial resonated to me, got to go, got to go, got to go right now. Right. So there's all these things and there's a lot of treatments for all of these things now. And the, the treatments are getting better and better. You know, the advent of these electromagnetic uh, stimulating chairs, we, that it's called Emcella that we have in our office. I mean, that cures a lot of our mild incontinence patients, especially mild stress incontinence. We have minimally invasive uh, procedures where people go in and out. Uh, last night I did a procedure um, a bladder uh, suspension procedure. You know, she left the hospital in 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 basically two out two to three hours. You know, even the people in the hospital yesterday, it was kind of unique because we had some other more complicated robotic patients, and then we had this one patient, and it was so simple. And they said, "Oh my God, I for I forgot how simple it is for just a, a straightforward bladder suspension." Because in most cases, we do those now in outpatient centers, right? So you don't even go to a hospital; you go to an outpatient center. You're there for two and a half hours, and you get in your car and and you leave. You got to have someone drive you just because you had anesthesia. But I mean, it's very simple. And then there's things like Botox, right? Botox isn't only for your forehead. We do that. We do that in enhanced too, but. Um, you know, for people for cosmetics, but Botox in the bladder helps with urinary frequency. And then medications, you know, have expanded and some of the side effects of the medications have gotten less because they, you know, they've made the medications better. So there's a lot of things on the horizon for this um, that I think they're, you know, making the treatments easier and better and faster and more efficient. And that's in the mission of women's healthcare, like we talked about in our last segment. 
Right. So it doesn't always mean surgery is what you're saying. I mean, and in, in many cases, describing a surgery, you're saying it's a lot easier than it was in your mom's day. Oh, absolutely. We used to make large incisions to do bladder suspensions and they were 50% um, successful at five years. So, you know, so, so when people say, well, my mom had a bladder suspension and it failed, right? 50% of those people were going to fail at five years. We knew that that was the data, right? And let me tell you, Marie, when I was doing time at the Mayo Clinic, people were flying in from all over the country to get those procedures done because urinary incontinence is such an interruption into your life, right? Now we can do much more simple things if it, if it requires surgical intervention. And then in many cases, you know, for people that have urinary dribbling and overactive bladder, we bring them in, we do a simple uh, procedure where it's not even really surgery. It's more like we look in with a little camera and we do some injections. You know, simple injections that can stop the leakage, stop the dribbling. Sometimes we do that in conjunction with surgery. There's lots of different things we can do. Sometimes we add physical therapy or or the electromagnetic stimulating chair to to their treatment, which I believe probably everyone should do. Um, you know, so and if there wasn't any cost to it at all, I think everybody would use that if there wasn't time and cost involved. But I think that overall. Um, it's gotten a lot easier. You're right. It's this isn't what what do they say? This isn't the same bladder suspension your mom had. Yeah, and very quickly as we close out this show, so your take-home message here today is you're having some kind of bladder issue. You can start implementing some of these treatments before the end of the year. The time to do this is now and to look at that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, why suffer? You know, I mean, that's the whole thing is, I mean, you know, improve your quality of life if you can, especially if it's advantageous for you to do so the way you use your insurance. Dr. Jonathan Zayden, Women's Excellence, always a pleasure to have you on board. Not afraid to tackle the tough subjects, and we appreciate that. You've been listening to The Healthy Woman Show here on WJR. For more information on Dr. Jonathan Zayden and Women's Excellence, go to womensexcellence.com. The Healthy Woman Show has been presented by Women's Excellence.